do you want to play two truths and a lie? Always. Okay, I'll start. Number one, my feet are a perfect size 6M. Number two, I've only run one marathon under four and a half hours. And number three, I can drive a manual transmission. The manual transmission. Nope. I've run two marathons under four and a half hours. <laughs> okay. My turn. One, I've ridden an elephant before. Two, I trended on Insta for six hours because of my lacquered bacon tutorial. Three, I made out with Dave and Ann at junior prom. <gasps> I went to junior prom with Dave. That better be the lie, Dimple. Yeah, sure. No, Dimple, the truth. What does it matter? He came out junior year of college. Okay, you've never ridden an elephant? No, I rode an elephant after it rode me. <gasps> Welcome back to Late Bloomers, the web series, the podcast. I'm Rashi and she's Pooja. And today we're gonna talk about episode seven of Netflix's Never Have I Ever Been a Big Fat Liar, written by Erica Oyama and directed by Anuvalia. So Pooja, what is the most outlandish lie that you've ever told? Well, in the fourth grade, and before I say anything else, I need to say that I emigrated to America around between like third and fourth grade. And we moved back to Texas second semester of fourth grade, which is when this lie occurred. So this lie was, I don't know what we were talking about, but I recall being made fun of for being different when we had lived in Illinois. So moving to Texas, I was very defensive. And we, people were just talking about different languages or their grandparents or something. And I remember saying, well, my grandfather speaks Swahili. And I didn't even know at the time what country Swahili was spoken in, what it sounded like. If somebody did know Swahili and was like, well, what have you heard your grandfather say this? Or even a plausible reason as to why he spoke it. So <laughs> what about you? <laughs> One time, and this was 20 years ago, so I think, I think it's okay to finally admit that it happened. But I was in a sorority for a short period of time. And I just didn't want to do their rush events. I just thought that shit was stupid. It wasn't for me. And so I faked a death in my family so I could leave for a couple days. I had tickets to a Third Eye Blind concert and I still love Third Eye Blind 20 years later. So I don't regret it at all. I have a couple follow-up questions. Mm -hmm. Was it a fake relative or did you fake kill a real relative? It was a fake relative. I said it was an aunt. Okay. I mean, okay. I have aunts. It wasn't, <laughs> none of them had died. <laughs> And I don't know if it's the third eye blind lyric because I'm bad at songs because I wanted to pivot to, did you practice Santeria? Is that a, is that no, a third eye blind? Okay, close. There was blah in it. <laughs> <laughs> oh. All right. Okay, enough of our lion history. We move on to after the My Shit is Bigger 
the nuclear war of the previous episode. And we are now at school. Davy is laying low. She is dressed, as John McEnroe says, a celebrity leaving LAX. But as older millennials will know, that's the Unabomber look. Hoodie and sunglasses, go to the post office. She wants to be under the radar <laughs> until graduation. Montage of her hiding out, having people buying her snacks, eating lunch in the bathroom. And then she's hiding behind people in the classes, in the hallways. And what happens next, Rashi? She's walking behind Eric, the kid who we can't quite figure out. I guess he's just like comic relief. Like he says dumb things. And here he has a, has a physical gag where he trips and falls and spills all of his raisinets, which he's very put out about because that's where he gets a lot of his friggin' vitamins. (laughs) 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 And Trent sees her and he says, Hey, coyote girl, I know your secret. And you know, she's a clenching, I'm sure hard enough to create a diamond. (laughs) And he says, I know you have a hot cousin. Do you think she'd be into me? No, she would not be into him. Yeah, Trent, your gross mom totally has normalized predation <laughs> to you. And spoiler alert, this is Kamala's only appearance in this episode. By name. By name only. <laughs> Just like Parvati Patel in the Harry Potter and Sorcerer's Stone movie. By name only is yeah. she in it. So this is when Davy finally realizes that Paxton didn't tell anyone. And so she starts to wonder, why? Was he protecting her? Did he care about her? Was he in love? And then we zoom to Paxton talking to Zoe, the trampoline Instagram girl, <laughs> by the locker bank. And then Davy realizes that, oh, he just forgot about her. Actually, the captions here say that Paxton is telling her not. You got to wear it 24-7. So I need to know what she has to wear 24-7. And it better be either sunscreen, underwear, or braces. I, I, I don't know what else she needs to be wearing 24-7. I can't even think of what it could be. Is there something from swimming? No. No, there's really not anything from swimming that you would be wearing 24 7. Yeah. Maybe he meant, like, I don't know, the love of the Lord or something. <laughs> now that Davy knows that Paxton hasn't told anyone, she's got a little extra pep in her step, and she finally goes to find Fab and Eleanor and finds that they have replaced her with Jonah. Jonah, if you'll remember, is the closeted gay boy who she was going to use as her starter boyfriend to uh, slingshot her way to a straight guy. (laughs) (laughs) So Jonah's bringing both chili cheese and regular fries for the table. And we learned that Jonah and Fab connected as they both reached for the How to Say I'm Gay pamphlet. Fab and Eleanor tell Baby that they know that she and Paxton are through because they saw Zoe and Paxton sharing a cookie at lunch. (laughs) (laughs) I'd better be a literal cookie. Mm -hmm. 
So Davy <laughs> was telling her to wear underwear 24-7. Like, what is happening yeah. with Paxton? <laughs> Maybe he was talking about a chastity belt. Ooh, ooh, how Robin of Loxley of him. Mm-hmm. So patriarchal, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so Davy has the chance here where she could tell them what happened, but she doesn't. She lets that go. And she just asked if they could cut her some slack because she's just been dumped, as they know. And would they forgive her? And Jonah, being the nice lady that he is, said, no, I don't think we can. Your instability makes this friendship feel unsafe for all of us. (laughs) (laughs) That's a really great boundary setting line, though. That was great. Yeah. Brene Brown would be like high fiving him right now. Yeah. Yeah. I just like the fact that he seems like he does not like her. So her plan of, you know, using him to slingshot her way to the top was never going to (laughs) work. So Davy tells him to get his D out of their ABC conversation. And Fab and Eleanor say, no, no, no. He's been our safe harbor in the chaotic storm that we've been dealing with. Davy then takes this metaphor literally and says she will be their harbor master. And like Frazier sits down and asks what she can do to help. Fabiola said that she's come to an important realization. Davy cuts her off and assumes she's going to say, oh, you're finally in Gryffindor. And Fabiola says, no, no, no. I am Ravenclaw like Eleanor. But John McEnroe says that they're all Hufflepuffs. Now, as die-hard Harry Potter fans, we gotta we need to... properly sort Davy. Mm-hmm. I think we're in agreement on this, right? Yes, she ain't a Gryffindor. No, and she ain't a Hufflepuff. Uh-uh. Because for those people who don't know, the four houses in Harry Potter align to specific character traits, and a magic hat plucks out the dominant traits from your brain and determines what house you sit in that's the gist of it and so there are four houses Gryffindor is for the brave and what was it bold yes courage bravery nerve Mm -hmm. yes and chivalry and Hufflepuff values hard work patience justice and loyalty Ravenclaw values intelligence learning wisdom and wit and Slytherin values ambition cunning leadership and resourcefulness and in harry potter and the sorcerer's stone the magic hat says slytherins will do anything to get their way so by process of deductive reasoning we can conclude that davy truly is a slytherin yeah yeah the nerve the nerve okay can I just moving on to you to tell you that it bothers me that she interrupted Fab. I know to talk about what she wanted to talk about. Exactly. Usual. Exactly. So she interrupted Fabiola and Fabiola to her credit gets it back on track and says that she, you know, she comes out again and to Davy's credit here, she was excited. And she acknowledges that it's huge. She moves from where she was sitting, jumps over Jonah essentially to give Fab a hug and says, you know, now I understand your taste in men. The citation here is she thought James Corden in Cats and listeners, he played 
Bustafer Jones in that terrible movie um, <laughs> was her ideal man. Jonah here refers to himself as a baby Buddha judge. And let's, okay, here's another thing. Jonah, actor playing Jonah, in real life, has the telltale signs of living life, meaning he has bags and several defined lines around his eyes. No shade, no nothing. Those are just the facts. So one of us, me, went and looked up how old he is, and he is the same age as Paxton. He's around 30. So how are you a baby Buddha judge? Yeah, he's your big brother. He, yeah, <laughs> he's know? baby baby brother to Buddha judge. Yeah, you ain't yeah, baby brother, not baby Buddha judge. <laughs> if he was really in high school, you'd be a baby Buddha judge. But anyway, that was that had to be said. You're 30, sir. Davy insists on telling her BFFs she is going to make it up to them. And Fabiola stands her ground and was like, you know, Jonah has been great in this time. He has that good energy. Yeah. So Davy's solution is to have a good old fashioned girls only get Jonah the hell out of here sleepover. And so she tries to plan activities that are ones that the girls will love. So she rented Chicago and Eleanor sang along through the whole thing. And Fabiola got a chance to program the family's universal remote. And then, (laughs) (laughs) and then these girls led by baby practice alcohol based party games by drinking something pretty gross that Davy's made out of kombucha and apple cider vinegar to practice having a cute face while still drinking something disgusting. I I like that they workshop how to solve problems in such a unique way because I would have never thought to do this. I mean, I would have just drank. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Me too. I would have just drank. So they get Fab and Eleanor get a text from Jonah that he's on stage at Rocky Horror and they find out that he looks amazing in fishnets. Here's when Davy tells her, you know, she doesn't really know, you know, like why, why they love him so much. Eleanor says that he's wise. He told her that a bob haircut would allow her to play a child and a professional woman. <laughs> and Fab adds that he was very insightful about that stuff with Eleanor's mom. What was the advice that jo- wise Jonah gave her regarding her mom? Wise Jonah said that they need to keep toxic things out of their life. And so Davy didn't actually even know about Eleanor's mama drama until now. They're just now finally getting to tell her because of her yelling at them and then always controlling the conversation to what she wants. And Eleanor drops this truth bomb that Jonah was actually talking about Davy when he said that about keeping toxic people out of your life. But it still applies here. (laughs) (laughs) And... Eleanor lets Davy know that she wants more from her mom than just texts. Weak apology texts, I think is what she says. Mm-hmm. And you see the little cogs turning inside her Slytherin brain. Davy has decided she's going to meddle. 
Harbor Master out. Davies Cogs lead her to Casa Mexico, where Miss Wong tells her that she didn't recognize her because she grew into her eyebrows. Davy tells her that she needs to do more for Eleanor other than just text. She needs to see the quote, old razzle dazzle, which translates to you got to go face to face with her on this. And (laughs) (laughs) Eleanor's mom wanted to do what again? She wanted to rent out a black box theater and do a one woman show about Eleanor. I don't know if Eleanor would like that or not. I, I don't, I don't know. Um, and I don't want to know. I'm glad they didn't show us that. <laughs> it's pointed out by John McEnroe that Davy thought this was funny. She was being a good friend by going behind her best friend's back and meddling in personal family drama. So, you know, well laid intentions. <laughs> Fabiola is worried about telling her parents her truth. Davy's like, what are you worried about? Your parents drive a Prius. They're liberal. And Fabiola points out that her mom has some pretty stilted ideas about what Fabiola likes and, you know, what her goals in life should be, which includes a Tuscan wedding to Michael Bay Jordan. And I got to say here, I don't really like these gender norms, these antiquated. I mean, I understand Fabiola's mom is not somebody well-versed in LGBTQIA issues, but I have to point out for listeners here that we have to stop equating gender norms to sexuality. Just because you're girly or not girly as your expression of your gender has nothing to do with your sexuality, how you like to be pleasured. So I just off my soapbox now. Davy, in a a giant twist of fate, gives Fabiola some great advice here, actually. Makes me think Dr. Ryan is working her magic. She tells Fabiola that she has to give her mother a chance to, to fail and be wrong when she has this conversation with her. I believe it's at the same moment where they're at school in hanging out in the lounge together when who shows up but Ms. Wong. Hmm. And Eleanor is shocked. Like, what you showed up at my school in the middle of the day? Miss Wong mentions, yeah, Davy thought it would be a good idea. And Eleanor runs. She shoots Davy a look when her mom said that. Her mom goes chasing after her. Fab looks at her and is like, what did you do? And so... Harbor master. She <laughs> harbor master. <laughs> uh, so Eleanor's mom catches up to her and... Eleanor tells her that, you know, she's thinking about running again. And she's like, well, it's a very cinematic way to a <laughs> Her mom has been in town for two months, has not called. And she admits to Eleanor that this is because she was fired from the cruise and dumped off in Cancun. And she was just really ashamed. She wanted to book some work and be working before she contacted Eleanor again. But Eleanor says to her, I don't care what your job is. I just want you in my life. And she says that her stepmom doesn't understand her because she took her to see spam a lot. (laughs) And Ms. Wong says, you know what? Like, why don't we participate in the bake sale together? And she offers to bake cookies, but they can't do it at her place because she lives with four 19 year olds and her oven is the closet. 
So Davy, who has chased them down, offers to let them make the cookies at her house. And during this cookie-making time, they have a great little gab sesh and gossip. And Ms. Wong finds out about Eleanor's boyfriend, Oliver. She finds out about Paxton. And she finds out that Fab is gay. She doesn't find out. She guesses and says that she is good gaydar because she dated Nathan Lane. <laughs> For three years. Wasn't he the gayest one in the birdcage? Yes. Okay. I actually wrote <laughs> something down. I wrote, I wrote something down regarding this. So she said she knows something about being punching above her weight too she dated nathan lane for three years nathan lane came out publicly in 1999 and these girls are 15 to 16 years old which means that they were born in dear god 2004 2005 (laughs) okay so when did she date him it would have had to have been prior to 1999 no idea i mean i don't know why i'm asking i'm just saying if you do the math yeah maybe it was before eleanor's father maybe maybe it doesn't seem like her and eleanor's father were built to last to begin with (laughs) sorry eleanor we're finally at that pta bake sale that fabiola's mom is super stressed about we see her being super stressed at the poor mother who brought almond fudge, you know, tree nuts to school. So that gets out of there. Nalini walks in with a package of store-bought cupcakes and Davy is asking her why she didn't go hella homemade like everybody else. And Nalini was like, uh, I was saving my patients from melanoma. Can Mrs. Wheels do that? So then Joyce shows up and Elise, who's Fabiola's mom, and Nalini share a look. We learned from John McEnroe that years ago, Joyce had taken the girls to a carnival. They were getting their face painted. She ditched them for an NCIS uh, audition, and she thought she'd be back in time. But we see via the flashback, she was gone until the sun went down. So these women do not like her. Then she makes some small talk. And it comes out about all their secrets. Who has, you know, the the gab sesh with the girls? I learned who has a boyfriend, who has a girlfriend. And Nalini is visibly upset. And she's like, you ain't talking about Davy. Davy knows she's supposed to date till she she can rent a car. And in California, that's 21 for those who are under the same rules. Sorry. And um, she then asks her, who is this boyfriend? Is it Frank with the receding hairline? And Davy's like, it's not the crossing guard. Now, Nalini, you saw some homeboy roll up to your house. You spied on them and told them not to laugh. You saw this same young man who you referred to as Mr. Cheekbones in about two seconds at her hospital bed. Why did you assume it was Frank? Why would you assume it was the middle-aged crossing guard? That is insulting. Davy eventually confesses that she was lying. And Eleanor thinks she's doing a bit, but she's like, no, I really have not done anything with Paxton. And Nalini's like, now we out. And when they get home, 
Nalini says, I don't know what just happened. I'm blaming Joyce, but you cannot date anybody, even if it's a lie. <laughs> so we cut back to the bake sale and Fabiola and her mom are cleaning up for a job well done. And they start to talk about, you know, what what just happened there, just trying to deconstruct like the bomb that was Joyce that went off. And Fabiola's mom says, I'm so glad that we're just a normal family. Fab is like, what do you mean normal family? She's like, you know, we don't have that kind of drama. And she's like, well, there's certainly some things about me that you're ashamed of. And she was like, no, I'm not ashamed of your robots or your weird clothes. She was like, well, (laughs) it really does seem like you just had those locked and loaded. Fab comes out to her mother And her mother is taken aback, like shocked at first, but she reassures her that she loves her and, you know, nothing's going to change and she wants her to be happy. And then it hits her. She was like, have you been trying to tell me this for a while? And (laughs) I thought this was a really sweet moment because it wasn't like her mom was just like, oh, yay, this is great. Like you could tell she's, she's trying to process it. She doesn't really know all of it, but you know, she, I would guess that she had probably suspected about her daughter, you know, and looking at Joyce, like, do you think Joyce knows anything about her daughter? No, I think that it was really great for the writers to show a healthy mother daughter relationship, because Mm -hmm. I don't think the rest of them are healthy, at least among main three. So I agree with you. It was very sweet. It was very refreshing. More of that. And I'm just so happy for Fabiola. Yeah. And Fabiola's mom is happy too because she's like, oh, does this mean that you're not taking AP Latin? You can switch back to French. (laughs) (laughs) So their trip is back on. At school the next day, Davey walks up to the new lunch group and, you know, was like, hey, why why i'm sorry and her friends say okay no we're not doing this you're you're lying to us you're acting really sketchy and she was so scared about everybody knowing her business with paxton but yet she out here openly talking in front of jonah she told ben and she told her you know she had to spill the beans yesterday and whoever was volunteering at the bake sale heard her shit and so now she's talking to Jonah, you know, talking in front of Jonah about her business. Is Jonah going to go around and tell people? Is that my personal anxiety being projected onto the show? Or is that a gap in the writing? We'll never know. Um, what do you think? <laughs> Can you trust Jonah at this point? I trust him only in that he wouldn't hurt a friend of Fab's. That's true. And he seems like a very sex positive person Mm -hmm. and doesn't, you know, he clearly draws boundaries because when Davy's doing her, I'm a victim routine here. And she says, I understand if you want to replace me with Jonah, Eleanor and Fabiola are like, we're allowed to have more than one friend. And again, he's been great. And then Jonah goes, well, I don't even know if I'm a permanent member of this group. I got a busy social life. So Davy does the same gaslighty thing that she did with Paxton. Technically, I didn't lie. I just omitted the truth. And then Fabiola updates them that she came out to her mom and it was fine. Davy again makes a promise to be a better friend. 
Now, Joyce comes with Eleanor to the rehearsal for the play that she's in. And she asks the teacher if it's okay if her mom, a working actress, could watch. <laughs> and he was like, oh, great. Un- uninvited parents who are also in the profession. Fantastic. <clears throat> yeah, have a seat. He does mention that Eleanor is the youngest lead actress they've ever had. And you can see her mom's face all of a sudden like, oh, oh, lead? Like this is a competitive thing. And they start to go through their lines. Again, this is the glass menagerie. And the last line that Eleanor gives is, don't let anything interfere with your selfish pleasure. And it cuts to her mom, where we're left thinking, is Joyce jealous of her daughter's talent? Or did she think in that moment, hey, my selfish pleasure is to give Broadway one more try. I don't know whether or not she's jealous. I kind of err towards yes. What about you? I think so. Just because of the way she reacted when he said youngest lead actress and she was like, uh, uh, if that's your daughter, if imagine that was Fabiola and Fabiola's mom, how would Fab's mom react? She probably would have booked her at the Lee Strasberg school. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Refine her talent. Yeah. It's, it's disappointing that this is the relationship that, Eleanor has with her mom. So do you think that Eleanor's relationship with her mom is because her mom didn't ever want to be a mother and maybe resents her daughter a little bit? Or is it just that she is trying to chase her dreams and she has blinders on and does not care about anything else? I think it's more the former. Because... Yeah. Now, if, like, if, imagine this is Eleanor's dad, and he's never around, and he flits in and out of her life every six months or so, like, we would think he was a deadbeat, but we wouldn't think as poorly of him as we do of Eleanor's mom. And I I think that's, I don't know, it's just one of those gender things. Yeah. Like, we'll, we will treat moms a completely different way than we will treat dads. Right. And I still, that's why I asked the question, like, does her motive even matter? Like, did she just have seven years of postpartum, you know, situation before she walked out on Eleanor? And even then, the scene at that bake sale, you know, I love looking at people's faces. When the moms were being passive aggressive to Joyce, Eleanor's, you know, she was like, well, I moved back to L.A. because it's where Hollywood is. And, and Nalini's like, and your daughter. And Eleanor's face just was like, uh, what is happening here? And then when her mom just spilt all the beans, she was so frozen and ashamed of her. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know. Yeah, it's disappointing, but it's I mean, it's, kind of, it's just different how we wouldn't, you know, if that was her dad, like whatever, he didn't come around. You wouldn't expect him to be at a bake sale. Yeah, you're right when you say it's a gender thing because you're everybody's operating under the assumption that women are maternal. Yeah. Sorry, you were saying that she left when Eleanor was seven? Yes. You know, that's like 
really pretty dumb. Like she should have left immediately because like zero to seven is probably the hardest. Exactly. Like now, like seven and on, like that's fun. Like these are kids who can like go to the bathroom on their own and can figure out what to eat. Yeah. Um, I don't know. She's, she's missing out on the really good part when, you know, she should have swapped when she was not around. <laughs> yeah. She had to endure the potty training months. Uh, and then, you know, I'd probably snap after that myself. <laughs> so Eleanor is going to get hit with some terrible news. We see Fabiola run up to Davy. She's like, yo, Eleanor's mama has bounced. And we see in flashback that she's walking through the high school with a bag already packed. I have several questions. Where did she keep this bag? Did she and Eleanor arrive at school together? And if so, where did she keep this bag? So she's rolling through the school and she leaves a note in her daughter's locker. She doesn't even text her she's missing her daughter has to go look for her her daughter has to have a reason to open this locker so fabiola is like okay eleanor is spiraling out of control go in there do your laurel Linney impressions i'm gonna find my lavender essential oils but don't you know paxton like all men do the second you over them and you're ready to change here he come come and he texts her i need you right now you owe me so davy's like yeah i do it's an emergency let me go and the episode ends. This was a really plotty episode. It seems like, you know, we have to set up a bunch of things that will get knocked down in the last few episodes. What did you find in this episode that was for the culture? The pronouncement from Nalini that Davy knows she's not allowed to date till she's old enough to rent a car. I felt that in my bones. And it has been a rule in our family for generations, even probably before cars existed. Does the rule apply the same way rental cars does, though, where men cannot until they're 25? Um, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite for the culture part was when they come home from the bake sale. Melanie just grabs her by the arm and takes her home and it tells baby that you are not to have any sexual contact with boys even in the lies you tell (laughs) (laughs) that's essentially saying don't fantasize so now we understand why she was like uh yeah i was asleep mom when she was dreaming about reading that dirty dirty one direction fan fiction book so okay (laughs) that's a lot that's not sex positive nalini that's not sex positive why do you no. think all brown parents have that rule only for their daughters or that they enforce it with their daughters? I don't know. I think those kind of gender things have been harder for me to understand because it's just me and my sister. So, you know, they're, we didn't really have the comparison of a boy in the house. Like the rules were just the rules. I don't know because I don't know how my mom or dad would have reacted with a boy. My parents had this rule, and I was the only one who followed it. Everybody else had boyfriends before they graduated college or girlfriends. I have a brother. So I was the only one that followed this rule. And so I am resentful when I see 
the rule not being followed with other people. I know that's unfair. I know that's petty. But the firstborn immigrant daughter, <laughs> I got to advocate for us. <laughs> <laughs> we are petty and bitter about this turn of events. And speaking of petty and bitter, what was your For the Colonizer moment? It was small in this one, but in the beginning, when Baby is dressed to conceal herself, as you aptly noted, she's dressed like a Unabomber. Come the fuck on. Like, if you're brown, you're not allowed to dress anything like that. In the days after 9-11, like, do you remember when you had to have an American flag sticker on your car? Like, did your parents make you do that? No, my parents did not make us do that. I, my parents didn't tell us to adhere to the protocols because they assumed we'd be too scared to, um, you know, buck authority. But news to them, we, we were, we were not that type. But no, I remember being scared of my dad and brother traveling at the airport. I remember them being scared just being out and about if they did not overtly identify as American. I remember being worried about it. We just never did anything about it. Mm-hmm. My ex-husband is a veteran of a foreign war oh, and wow. will get pulled out of security lines every time if he didn't shave at the airport. This guy was in the Navy. He's showing you a military ID. Like you're pulling him out of line. Okay. Well, I guess maybe that's maybe that's why the boys are allowed to date first, because <laughs> every now and then their migrations are worse. <laughs> that might be like the only time ever, though. Yeah. So just a week or so ago, I ordered a box cutter on Amazon because I thought, you know, now that it's like coronavirus all over everything, I want to be able to quickly get into packages in the hallway and then throw that stuff away, not ever even have to bring it into the house. And so I went to go pick up my packages and I put my mask on and I grabbed my box cutter and I went to go see the concierge. And (laughs) as I was walking up the stairs to the lobby, I was like, 20 years ago, there's no way you could have told me that I could walk around with a mask on and a box cutter in my hand and not be in Guantanamo Bay before midnight. That is so true. I saw a tweet from an attorney maybe a month ago now where he said, you know, I I rolled up to the bank wearing a mask and gloves and I've put people away for less, you know, (laughs) it's a whole new world order. Speaking of unfair things about the colonizers, I think these two things are overtly for the patriarchy. So when Davy was doing her hiding out, she sat behind a black student with an afro. Now, we know how socially black hair is stigmatized. California passed a piece of legislation last year that made it a crime to discriminate against people based on their hair. In South Africa, young black girls advocated with their schools that they should not be required to wear their hair a certain way because it damages their hair. I get the joke here that she's trying to be invisible, but I did not appreciate that it was at the expense of an already marginalized thing in society. That did not help anybody. Also, 
and I'm going to get into it more in the problematic I don't want to see it anymore. But she also hid behind Eric Perkins. And he is, you know, the only fat character on the show. So those two items were for the colonizers because they enforce the patriarchy. That's what I didn't like. What was a positive that you found in this episode? I like the triptych nature of this story. You have a spectrum of motherhood here. You have Davy and Nalini who, you know, have a very strict mother-daughter relationship. You have Eleanor and Joyce on the other end where they have no kind of mother-daughter relationship. You have one yearning and one not. And then you, right in the middle, you have Elise and Fabiola who have an open and honest communicative relationship. So I just love the exploration of mother-daughter dynamics. In a 30-minute show, they did very well, I think, with the writing of this specifically. What about you? I really liked Nalini as the working mom who knows her value and knows the value of her own time. Single working mom. Oh, yeah. So I feel like a lot of the mothers of, not our generation, but our mother's generation, those women were really good at doing it all. And they would work and then they would cook Indian food and pack everybody's lunches and have an impeccable household. But I like that Nalini's like, yeah, no, I don't do that. I bought store-bought cupcakes because I saved lives. I thought it was a little bit weird that Davy even thought to ask why her mom didn't make homemade. And yeah, and also if she did roll up there with homemade, Kamala would have made them. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. Like, Davy knows her mom is not home to cook dinner. Like, why would she even entertain that thought that anything would be homemade? Like, that's not your mom, girl. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Now, what were the things that you said, mm-mm, gotta stop this now? How obtuse that Davy can be. I'm I'm not sure if she knows and she just doesn't care or she doesn't know that she's being terrible. Like, she lets these problems sit for days and days and days before trying to solve them. With Fab and Eleanor, how many days passed before she yelled at them and then they reconciled? Like, you just didn't speak to them. Like, you didn't text in this day and age. You didn't direct message them on Instagram. You didn't tweet at them. You you nothing to them for how many days? And who else are your friends, girl? <laughs> Well, we asked, well, I estimate, I don't, I'm not requiring you to ascribe to my math because it's shaky at best, <laughs> uh, that it is between three and four days in which she tells them from the previous episode, my shit's bigger than your shit. And John McInerney said she was doing her hideout routine for a few days. So it's at least Thursday by the time she saunters up to that table with Jonah's cheese fries and her girls before she even addresses with them, you know, hey, what's up? And then they had to remind her that she yelled at them. So mm-hmm. I agree with you. That's problematic. I am going to keep mine brief. I'm tired 
of the Eric Perkins character having a lot of food-related humor. Nobody gets their fucking vitamins from Raisinets. He nobody drinks stale milk, two giant glasses enough that they have to go to the nurse. No rational person does these things. And I'm just tired of Eric being the only fat representation in this otherwise good show. There's no big women. There are no other fat people with speaking parts except Eric Perkins. And he's a big, no pun intended, fucking mess. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> now, just to crystallize it down to favorite line or character, what did you like? So it's not it's not a favorite line or character. It's a favorite background element. And I pay very special. It's from years of watching things like Lost and Buffy and looking for, you know, through, you know, hints and Easter eggs and crap. So I looked at the pamphlets that were next to the How to Say I'm Gay pamphlet that Jonah and Fabiola met over. So they include anxiety, something about anxiety, self-esteem and me. Are you a bully or a buddy? and toxic relationships. Now, usually if you're if you're looking at pamphlets on sitcoms, there's something funny. Parks and Rec is a great example of that. But I paused and I read all of these and they were actually very good. That are you a bully or a buddy one? It may have been the Easter egg, but it's like are you gossiping? Are you railroading over others? Are you not listening to feelings? Are you not being empathetic? All these things. I'm like, uh oh, Davy needs that pamphlet. But I enjoyed that. What did you enjoy? I liked Fabiola's mom being real with her and the interaction that they had after the bake sale. I thought it was really cute how Fab, after she came out to her, was trying to dissect. Oh my God, you're making that face that you make when they say the entree that you want is out. Uh, and she's trying to dissect it, what her mom is thinking and what her reaction is going to be. But her mom just stops her and says, you know, you hit me with something really big and I'm just trying to process. And the next thing she says is sit down so they can talk about it together. And I, I just really liked that. I, you're right. That was wonderful. And I just think that Fabiola describing that face aligned with that mood when the restaurant says that they don't have the thing I set my taste buds and stom stomach for, I am beyond disappointed. So I think that's a very mm -hmm. good metaphor there. So, and also I'm greedy, so that's probably why. Okay, predictions. Davey. We are just on the precipice of rock bottom, and I predict that it will be in the next episode. So, Davey, don't let anything interfere with your selfish pleasure. <laughs> i agree that she is going to fuck up until she can't fuck up anymore and i don't know that i care you know like i i i kind of just want to see the i'm at the bottom so i can see her being resilient and building back up i'm tired of the descent i'm tired of this part of the journey yeah. what about nalini i am confused about her honestly i was really excited about getting to know her and I feel like I don't know maybe too many different people are writing for her that I can't get a feel for her as a person other than the nemesis as Davy's mom 
Yes, that makes sense. I think, yeah, there are too many main characters. I know Davy is the mainest main character, but there are two strong women surrounding her and they don't all have through lines. The younger girls do. They all have conflict and, and storylines this season. But I agree with you. All we know about Nalini is she's a strict mom who's doing her best as a working single mom. And I think she's been written into the Charlie Brown teacher womp, 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 womp role. Yeah. Yeah. What about uh, Kamala mentioned as a footnote in this episode? Yeah. Well, I will look forward to her return and I hope she had a restful week off. <laughs> I is, I'm assuming she's at the Caltech bio labs working on that dissertation. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you again for joining us. We will see you next time for Never Have I Ever Pissed Off Everyone I Know. Late Bloomers, the web series, the podcast, was produced and edited by Rashi Raj and Pooja Maharaj. Until next time. Rock bottom is coming. See you next time. Bye. Bye.